Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Dr. Nisha Khanna. She is an MD with a focus on functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. You're here to talk to us today about weight loss or perhaps weight management because so many people are either um, focused on losing weight or focused on trying to gain weight. In our previous interview talking about Ayurvedic medicine, these concepts of um, food combining, intermittent fasting, cleansing the body came up, and I really wanted to just kind of delve into those topics. Um, Can you maybe start by talking about your diet, the way that you eat? (laughs) Sure. And so, you know, one thing I will say is um, in defining weight loss, you know, it's more about optimal weight for Mm. someone's particular body type and where they are in that phase of their life. And so, for example, a child, you want them to, they're in the kapha stage of life, you want them to be building. You know, an elderly person, they're in the vata stage of life and the air space element, and they could actually deal with, you know, retaining a bit more weight. And I think it's more in this young adulthood, uh, pitta stage of our life, kind of age 15 to 60, where we're so concerned about weight loss. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a big part of it is is due to toxicity. And so we accumulate toxicity, whether it's through in injuries to the microbiome or uh, through the foods we eat or the food combining or not eating appropriately for our dosha at the particular appropriate time of the day that lead to this cumulative imbalance. And, and so then we're stuck in our young adulthood um, adulthood, pitta stage of life, really trying to lose the weight, mm-hmm. whereas it really depends on where you are in life, like what what is the optimal weight for you and also what your constitution is, um, whether that be kapha, vata, pitta, so whether you're more predominant earth element, fire element, or air and space element. Interesting. And so you asked what the what my diet is right now. Okay, so I'm um, age forty, and so I'm in my pitta stage of life, and um, we're in vata kapha season because it's uh, fall winter, and um, I'm noticing that both my vata and kapha are a little out of balance, and so I usually check that through my pulse, and so we can get a lot of information through checking with three fingers on the pulse, and um, so I'm I'm staying in tune with what's going on with me, you know, every every few days, and um, so currently then I'm modifying my diet according to the current imbalances or what we call vikriti. And so um, so what that looks like for me is having kapha reducing foods. Um, so that's following everything that would be on a kapha favor list. So things that are um, less building to the body. So lower glycemic index, lower carbohydrates, um, maybe favoring something like quinoa or tapioca instead of wheat. Um, 
avoiding dairy because dairy is very building on the body. It's predominant in the earth and water element. And so that you think about those elements as being dense, so you don't want to build more density. Mm. And so, um, so I'm favoring that type of diet, um, less sweet taste because the sweet taste is also predominant in earth and water element. And, uh, but I'm preparing those foods in more of a vata promoting way or vata reducing way, I should say. And so vata is cold and dry. It's the air element. And so balancing that out with warm and soupy. Mm. So having kapha foods in a Vata uh, preparation is good for this season, and it's also good for my current personal imbalances. Very interesting. Um, and, you know, based on our last discussion, one of the kind of, um, I guess, uh, undertones that kept coming up um, is this idea that you uh, don't necessarily look for a one-size-fits-all solution to everything, um, but really recognize that the you know, problems or symptoms that we may be facing are very personal to us. And so you had talked about you have your um, intrinsic composition. Constitution. Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also the more, uh, I guess, environmental piece or what is going on with us now. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe how people... Um, I don't know, I guess how that looks for somebody who is... Um, struggling with their weight in one way or another. Yeah, so the weight in general, the way I look at it is um, it is an excess of kapha in the body, so earth and water element. And so you want to avoid foods that are rich in those elements. So anything with the sweet taste, sour taste is also really uh, dense, salty. And it's, it's because of the el elemental composition of those tastes. And so for someone who has a kapha predominance, there's long lists of foods that someone should avoid or favor that are available on the internet. Um, what I typically do to just simplify it for people is say avoid gluten, <laughs> dairy and sugar because those are things that are very prevalent in our diet mm -hmm. but are also very promoting for kapha and um, and so I'll look at weight loss from that perspective of what constitution is out of balance and it's the kapha dosha um, however there's also a huge component of ama or toxicity and so ama is something that accumulates anytime we don't digest something perfectly <laughs> so if our digestion's overwhelmed because we overate or because we had a big glass of ice water with the meal or because we were multitasking while we were eating and so our energy was directed at multiple things and not on the task of eating mm. um, or if we're really stressed out over Overall, So these are things that lead to improper digestion. And what's also interesting is that ama is also any emotional toxicity that accumulates. So mm. that's anything that isn't processed into conscious understanding and love. And so any emotion that is not processed to that is, is toxicity and it is thought to lodge energetically within the body. And so... Um, the same thing is true of food is that its ultimate destination is supposed to be consciousness. So you're supposed to take your food, it's got all these nutrients, but the, the ultimate phase of digestion is consciousness of the cells. So the cells feel alive and they feel part of a cohesive whole. And mm. so, so when I'm looking at obesity or 
inappropriate body weight for that person at that time of their life. I'm looking at it from those two uh, perspectives of the toxicity and mitigating that within the body as well as uh, balancing the constitution that's out of balance. Very interesting. Um, so you had mentioned um, things like drinking ice water with a meal. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about why you would recommend against drinking those cold beverages? Yeah, so um, one of the fastest ways to lose weight is to just switch the temperature of the liquids that you are consuming. Wow. And so it's become very popular. I think a lot of people are doing it to start their day with a cup of warm water um, before they eat or drink anything else. And it provides a flush for the body, so a, a flush for your digestion. And this is you know, not scientifically proven, but it's an Ayurvedic concept that I think has been adapted into our society and people feel good with it, so they're doing it and mm -hmm. promoting it. Um, and some people add a little squeeze of lemon or some apple cider vinegar. Um, in Ayurveda, apple cider vinegar and honey, um, honey in particular has a quality called lekana, which is, it scrapes. And so honey, not in large doses, but like a teaspoon of uncooked raw honey, um, actually is thought to scrape fat and help mm. you eliminate that toxicity from the body. So I say uncooked and raw because in Ayurveda, cooked honey, so pasteurized honey is actually thought to create toxicity. So it's a really important distinction. If you wanna help your body detox, have the uncooked raw honey um, okay. and avoid the processed uh, pasteurized honey. Um, so starting your day with a cup of warm water, either adding a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and a teaspoon of honey, that's kind of a supercharged way to, um, to promote your ideal body weight and eliminate the ama, the toxicity. And then having um, no more than a cup of warm liquid with each meal. And then drinking, kind of hydrating and drinking your water in between meals. And the idea is that, say we have our stomach with all these uh, digestive enzymes and food, you don't want to dilute out your enzymes by flooding the digestion with liquid. Mm. Um, and you, it also is overwhelming for this distended stomach to be sloshing around with a lot of liquid. Um, the cold quality creates some vasoconstriction or constriction of the blood vessels in the stomach. And we have a splanchnic um, blood supply, which is its primary function is to direct blood to the digestion when it's time to rest and digest. And mm -hmm. so, um, so when you throw some cold water on it, you're actually causing that constriction to happen so that you don't absorb the nutrients and they don't digest appropriately. And anything undigested becomes ama toxicity that then can be absorbed by the body. And then in response, the body holds on to fat and water in order to dilute that toxicity out. Wow. And then kind of on the same, uh, uh, same track of the warm soups. Mm -hmm. um, I love a bowl of warm soup. Um, and I think it's fascinating how, um, how healing that it can be as well. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah. So, um, so essentially anything that you can do to take your food that is on your plate and get it closer to what your body actually has to use as a liquid that moves through it's called chyme it's actually the liquid that moves from the small intestine and through the small intestine into the large intestine and um and so if that uh if that liquid 
it, it, anything you can do to facilitate that process. So for example, when you blend your food or when you blend it into a soup, you're making it so easy on your body. I mean, you don't have to chew it, which makes it easier on you. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm not promoting like all your, li all your food should be liquid, but, um, but warm cooked soupy helps the, the food to digest more easily so that that digestive energy can be reserved for other processes within the body. Maybe it gives you an energy boost um, throughout the day or, or it keeps your energy levels up throughout the day or it prevents um, sort of that slump, right? So anytime someone overeats, the, you, you see them kind of sleeping on the couch, right? The food coma. <laughs> yeah, and so it's essentially they overwhelm their digestive capacity. They created a lot of AMA, which then they're gonna, you know, have have to get rid of at some point otherwise it's just going to accumulate within the tissues maybe lead to a cold um, or to you know other pathologies that are kind of more severe um, and and so the the body is essentially um, overwhelmed mm -hmm. and your your energy supplies have been redirected um, Whereas when you eat warm cooked soupy food and you lighten your digestion, and that could be by actually have, doing an intermittent fast or fasting for half of a day or a full day a week, then you give your digestion a break so it can start to digest anything that wasn't completely digested in the past to pure consciousness, to love and understanding. Interesting. And then, you know, there's so many... Um, so many different dietary approaches now. I would love to just kind of get your opinion on them. Um, so I guess maybe we start with paleo. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so paleo's um, appropriate at, at, for different people at different times, right? So um, I will guide patients through, through a paleo type diet if they have a lot of um, dysbiosis because essentially it's, and dysbiosis is an overgrowth of harmful organisms within the gut um, because it's gonna starve out those organisms, mm. a paleo type diet. So I think that's probably why it's been so popular is because dysbiosis is really prevalent within our population. And um, and so people feel a lot better on it, and they have the weight loss and those sorts of things. Um, it might not be the best long-term diet for somebody, but um, I think in conjunction uh, with appropriate cleansing uh, through herbs, it's real. It really can be useful. Interesting. And so, largely paleo, we're just talking about um, reducing the wheat, the starches, the yeah. gluten, which you had mentioned. A moment ago as and, well. Yeah, and it's really good for the kapha type of di diet, for the kapha constitution, because they already have enough of that earth and water element, so they don't need more of it, to, you know, for the most part in the form of carbohydrates. They've got enough of that sort of grounding heavy quality to their, their innate constitution. Um, so I think a paleo diet would actually be really good for a kapha type of um, for a kapha constitution or a kapha imbalance. And what's really interesting too is a lot of what traditional medical doctors see coming into their medical practice, the diabetes, high blood pressure, hyperlipidemia, these are kapha disorders. Mm. And so um, heart disease, these are things that will benefit from a paleo diet. Um, and then, you know, there's paleo can also be really helpful in autoimmune conditions, which has more of the pitta inflammatory aspect to it. Um, so um, 
I think the one constitution a paleo diet might not be very good for is the Vata type um, because they really, they're air and space, so they really do need the grounding of carbohydrates. Interesting. And again, kind of going back to that idea that there's no one-size-fits-all recommendation for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and then so veganism. What's your take on that as a diet? Is that something that is beneficial for, for people? Well, I mean, there's, there's so much research in both camps, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, and I worked, I used to work at Whole Foods um, as their primary doctor for their employees for a, about two years. And it was a heavy plant-based, low-fat plant-based uh, protocol for a lot of the patients. And, um, and it's interesting to see the studies and the research and the clinical cases where people who had diabetes with hemoglobin A1Cs of 11 came come down to seven on a low-fat um, plant-based diet. So again, I think it's depending on what condition exists. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say is just don't be a junk food vegan, you know, because <laughs> um, I think still it's really important to eat organic and to eat unprocessed something as much in its natural form. So if you're going for a lot of like meat simulated foods, so whether that's like soy hamburger patties and, um, and you know, fake cheese and, you know, like then it's, it's becoming ultra processed and right. you want to eat something that's in its natural form as much as possible, whole grain, um, if you're doing grains, um, and, uh, as close to what it existed in nature. And so, um, I think that veganism is appropriate in a lot of situations. And what I also really like about it is that if someone is really um, wanting to uh, magnify their um, their journey on their spiritual path, uh, a lot of the Ayurvedic thought is about sattvic food. So sattvic means um, creating more peace and calmness within the body. And so meat has more of a thamasic quality which is heavy grounding and we we can understand that from just the qualities of the the dense protein um, so if someone is trying to sort of connect more with the ethereal realm and um, have meditations where they leave their body it, they they actually want to lighten the body you mm. know so they don't want to introduce anything with denseness to it so it's nothing uh, it's not a commentary on you can't be spiritual if you eat meat because I feel like um, meat has its place in terms of grounding and supporting um, the processes and a lot of bodies and it's also very dependent on someone's heritage and what their ancestry is like and mm. what foods they can tolerate really well and do well with so it definitely has its place and it's very nourishing so things like bone broth can be very building both in functional medicine and in Ayurveda for gut healing as well as um, to to really nourish the deeper nervous system tissues and things like that. So um, I'm not I'm not saying one is less spiritual than the other, but it's it's more about um, having more of those transcendental experiences and and not being weighed down by your food. Mm -hmm. That it's easier to sort of sit in meditation and commune with the divine um, when your body is light. And so this concept actually goes back into biblical times too, where um, there would be fasts on just lentils and rice um, for a period of time before a significant um, event or um, celebration or um, kind of commemorative um, 
uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, taking that concept and maybe looking at the typical diets that people are eating, um, where unfortunately I think a lot of the, you know, kind of average American diet is very heavy in meats, very heavy in processed foods. What is the impact of that type of diet on our health and maybe emotional well-being? Yeah, um, I... I don't think that people need a lot of meat. Most people don't. Um, usually the, the protein requirements are kind of inflated for what the body actually needs, and it is different mm -hmm. person to person and also depending on what activities you're doing. Um, but, um, but yeah, processed foods are incredibly um, harmful to your gut, your gut bacteria. If you think about... Um, just in terms of the consciousness within that food, right? So it's been sitting on a shelf in a grocery store. There's there's very little prana or life force in it compared to an apple, you know? So mm. um, a box of crackers versus an apple. Like when you're really tired, <laughs> I know that I would go for the apple. Um, there have been times where I just was just so tired and I could barely get up, but I could reach for an apple and then I would feel better. And I don't think it had to do with the sugar in the apple, um, but more that it has life force. It just came off of a tree and that might not be the case when fruit is like sitting in um <laughs> in crates for you know a whole year right. um but um but it still has more prana mm -hmm. than um than say like um pasta right and um and also things that can be sprouted they still have life in them you know so like a potato or um lentils or seeds they're still alive you know so they might be sitting on a shelf but they have that potential for life in them whereas you can't do anything with pasta other than just boil it right and then do you have any thoughts on uh sprouted foods you know is it true that um you know, when you have sprouted uh, foods, they actually contain more nutrients than the unsprouted version, or? Well, um, so again, it's for which constitution. So sp um, sprouting can help um, eliminate some anti-nutrients um, and soaking foods as well, like soaking legumes um, and sprouting nuts. Um, however, sp uh, so if you think about sprouting, it creates a lot of air and space within that element, right? So within the, say you have a cup of beans and you sprout them, now they're just, they've all got like space between them and there's more of an airy light quality. So a vata constitution, which is already predominant in air and space, might not do as well uh, with sprouted food as say a kapha constitution that's denser and needs more air and space. Mm. So again, coming back to knowing the situation you're in, um, and then what is your recommendation for people who maybe want to try and uh, determine which is their constitution and what imbalances they might have? Yeah, so um, I, my go-to throughout Ayurvedic training, and it stayed the same, is um, Banyan, Botan Banyan Botanicals has a, a free quiz, and they're... Um, they're a supplier of a lot of organic Indian Ayurvedic herbs, and they do really good quality testing and control. And so um, you can go to their website at spanionbotanicals.com and do a quick dosha quiz, but it is important to answer it two times. So one for what your current state is, um, and then one for uh, what was true for you for most of your life. And that will give you your vikriti and your prakriti, which is your current imbalance and 
then your kind of innate constitution. Mm. And in Ayurveda, health is bringing the imbalance closer to your innate constitution. And when that occurs, you're supposed to be in a more robust state of health. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. You had mentioned earlier that when the body's accumulating excess weight, um, that that is a response to accumulating toxicity, both uh, chemical and emotional. Um, what recommendation do you have for people to um, help encourage the body to release those toxins? Is going on um, an extreme diet or cleanse or detox something that you recommend? Well, um, in Ayurveda, actually, regular fasting is recommended and it varies based on the constitution so this is maintenance work um if we if you really were going for more um severe weight loss or a large amount of weight loss then you would do more of a cleanse first and then do this maintenance but the maintenance for kapha is to actually fast on say astringent liquid like a pomegranate juice or cranberry juice um, for a whole day one day a week um, for vata though the other end of the spectrum um, they don't do well with fasting on just juice. And so they would do better with say fasting on maybe for half the day on broth and then the other half of the day on warm cooked soup or lentils and rice. And then pitta is somewhere in the middle. They could probably do a day of being on some type of vegetable broth or vegetable soup. One day a week is maintenance. And then um, for regular detox, daily detox, so that's your weekly. And then daily detox, I usually really recommend some type of um, colon cleanse. And so this is your daily maintenance and trifola, which uh, many people may be familiar with, is a nice tridoshic um, supplement that most people can take without any issue. And there's lots of different brands that carry it. Uh, I'd go for an organic variety and um, maybe start with two pills a day. I take mine in powder form and I, I feel like it's um, what keeps me youthful and energetic and um, it really has a lot of great qualities, a lot of antioxidants. Um, and um, and it just does a gentle daily detox. So a nice little sweep um, daily to clear up anything that may have built up over the day before. Um, and, uh, and then if you're going for more of an extreme weight loss, um, so you have 10 pounds to lose or five pounds to lose, um, doing an actual um, easily easy digestible food cleanse for anywhere from three to seven to nine days would be kind of a quick at home easy way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but there are many layers to it when you do it with a practitioner that involve kind of a um, bringing toxins, toxins that have lodged in the subcutaneous tissue and the subcutaneous fat, bringing those back to the GI tract for elimination and then doing mm -hmm. a 
something that's going to evacuate the small intestine and the colon. Um, so it's a bit more uh, complex that you'd want to have guidance of a practitioner. But that's where you're going to see the really um, large uh, weight loss or uh, getting really close, the big hit to your ideal weight. And um, patients that I've guided that, you know, with on such a cleanse, they may have been doing paleo or ketogenic for months and not seen the benefit. And then they did a cleanse like that. And, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, they lose 10 pounds. And it's because mm. it's that ama weight. It's toxicity that our body is storing in fat and holding onto water to try to dilute it out and put it somewhere where um, it's not going to affect the, the kind of functioning of the central part of the body. Mm. So getting into, you know, that idea of um, like ketogenic diets, do you have a general uh, response to, you know, the ketogenic diet? I see that all the time now. Um, I just wonder, is that something that is, is safe for most people? Well, um, I mean, I have seen it work well for, for people and they swear by it. Um, it is, it is really severe. So, Mm -hmm. um, it might be something that could be beneficial for a period of time, but I don't know that I would recommend someone stay on it long term. Um, and, uh, and, I, I really try to promote balance, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I, the best thing about the ketogenic diet, I think is the intermittent fasting. <laughs> so I think like, you know, grouping meals so that you're eating maybe two meals a day, six hours apart, and you're just having, you know, that window, and then you give your digestion a long time to rest. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best thing about most ketogenic diets to me. Um, and I usually recommend kind of, I, I feel like, there's so many nutrients in vegetables and fruits and um, things that might have a higher carb um, glycemic content that I don't think I would recommend eliminating all of any category of food long term. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely kind of my concern and a lot of these different dietary approaches is that they do have these kind of extreme um, entire groups of foods that you're now suddenly, you know, told not to eat. Um, I think in general, there's um, maybe this concept of change, you know, that our bodies are always in transition, so that we wouldn't just find this one way of eating and eat that way forever. Um, So I I love that you were kind of talking in one of the previous interviews that um, the Ayurvedic approach is uh, really giving um, not only consideration to different times of the year, the different states you're in, um, you know, what is your energetic demand like in terms of your exercise, your stress, so that you're really eating in a way that supports you in the position that you are now, rather than trying to just fit yourself into this certain diet or the certain way of eating um, because it's the fad or because it's working so well for someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that's really beautiful is to recognize all of our individuality. You know, we all have um, individual gifts to share with the world, individual purposes, um, contributions, and um, it's kind of silly to think that, 
you know, we should all eat the same <laughs> because mm -hmm. we're not the same in any other way. I don't, I don't think there's a prototype for any type of person or any type of life. You know, not everybody has to have be married and have children. You know, and have you know this level of um, income or whatever to to define their success. And success is something that um, you know we can choose, and we're very individual on how we define our success. And I think it's important to. Um, celebrate all these unique parts of our body as well as um, you know not try to be a kapha constitution and trying to look like a vata you know like there's so much beauty to the steadiness and the shape and the curves of a vata woman for example um, and yet most of our fashion and magazine culture is you know you're only beautiful if you look tall and thin like a vata constitution and so um so as we're talking about weight loss, I think it's really important to not try to be fitting into someone else's mold mm. in any way, uh, whether that's body type, life purpose, you know, or, you know, what your life looks like and really get to what is good for my body. Mm -hmm. Because I'm actually, um, my constitution is um, predominantly, my innate constitution is Pitta Kapha. And I had a, a big Vata imbalance for most of my teens and early 20s. Um, and so I looked a certain way. I looked more kind of wafy, uh, model-like. And it's been a transition for me to embrace, like, my new body. Because my new body is my actual closer to my um, actual innate constitution and be like, wow, okay, there's beauty in this too. Like it's not mainstream, but this is also, it's, it's being in balance for your body type mm. that is beautiful. Cause I think we are drawn to balance. It, it, we're not necessarily drawn to beauty. Beauty, we, in our minds, we equate beauty with balance. And so a balanced kapha is equally beautiful than a balanced vata or a balanced pitta. But it's the balance that we're drawn to because our skin glows, our eyes shine, our light shows up in our life. We don't have, uh, we don't have the fatigue. You know, we are energetic because we're getting good rest. And mm. that happens when our constitution is balanced. And that's what's beautiful. And so... One of the articles I wrote was um, something, I forget the title, it was a while ago, but it's something like, um, beauty isn't skin deep. And, um, and so, you know, the common saying, beauty is just skin deep, but it's the idea that when our hormones are balanced, when our gut is balanced, then we don't get acne, we don't get rashes, we don't... Um, we don't get excess hair growth, you know, m men don't get the balding and, um, and women, you know, have a curvier figure or, you know, whatever is appropriate for their constitution mm -hmm. when their hormones are in balance. And so, um, so it's more that we are drawn to that inner beauty that comes from the health within the system and shines outward than we are to just the way something looks, you know? And I've seen plenty right. of like pictures of supermodels that are sticking their tongue out and I'm looking at all the ama on their tongue and I'm like, well, yeah, you're really beautiful on the outside, but I wouldn't want to kiss you, you know, <laughs> just because like that's the toxicity on the tongue, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, and that's one of the big things that I like to um, stand for is that it's not about how we look. It's about getting into balance and that inner beauty really shining from without. And 
that balance is not just how we look, but it's the inner beauty of feeling really good about ourselves mm-hmm. and and feeling like we are aligned with our purpose and our gifts to share and that we are okay with being unique and um, and we're actually celebrating our uniqueness. And it's that beauty that I want to awaken within people so that they are shining that out into the world and then giving other people permission to shine theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I love all of that that you just said. I think for so... Um, for so many people, both men and women, um, there is that strong, um, you know, external force towards looking this way or looking that way. Um, but in many ways, uh, the true experience for the person is that coming into balance that really makes us feel alive and beautiful. And a lot of times that doesn't necessarily fit into the mold <laughs> that is maybe on the magazine covers or whatever. Um, but people want to feel better. And I think that it's um, a tragedy in many ways that people um, perhaps mistake the external body as their way to to feel better or to feel healthy or to feel that they're living their lives fully. Um, so in many ways, it's this, uh, you know, maybe fixation on the physical appearance that maybe prevents them from actually finding that true source of happiness and from which the the glowing skin and healthy hair and all the little things that you kind of mentioned that that are created when we bring our bodies into balance. That's what people are looking for. And they just don't realize that, you know, trying to make your body look this way or look like this other person isn't actually the way to get you to that point. Um, and there's probably a lot of, you know, <laughs> marketing on behalf of the different weight yeah. loss industries out there uh, that kind of perpetuate that feeling. Um, I'd love to kind of maybe recap some of the recommendations that you gave, um, starting the day with warm water. And then does it need to be like, is room temperature okay? Or warm it, warm it a little bit on the stove? Yeah, I definitely don't recommend using a microwave for anything other than maybe heating some um, moist warm compresses up. Okay. (laughs) Definitely don't microwave your food or your liquids. Um, But yeah, either a kettle or a stove. I'll usually just take um, a cup and put half room temperature water and half um, boiled water. And then it's usually a good drinking temperature for um, not tea drinking purposes, but just to kind of be that cleansing water. And I think warm is better than just room temperature. Okay. And then you had said we can add um, lemon or um, apple cider vinegar and um, unprocessed honey, mm-hmm. um, unpasteurized honey, um, which luckily here in Austin is actually easier to find. I know depending on where people live, it may be hard to find that unpasteurized honey. Um, but luckily, thanks to the internet, we can find that pretty much, you know, no matter where we are, we can find that. Um And then warm soups Mm -hmm. as a way to, um, I guess, prepare the body for digestion. So maybe like warm soup before a meal. Um, Well, it would actually be your meal. Okay. Um, so, (laughs) So you would have maybe like a bone broth for breakfast or a vegetable broth. Or if you were um, more of a vata constitution, you could have some oatmeal, uh, warm cooked soup, a soupy type of food. Mm -hmm. And then um, maybe this is like on a fasting day, you know, then um, 
or it could be like a cleanse day where you could have, um, say, kitchari, which is the rice and lentil combo spiced with vegetables. And that's actually quite filling. I mean, it's it, it's not before a meal. It's the actual meal. And you could do the same thing for dinner. Um, and, you know, some people get bored about eating the same thing for dinner. Um, and that's if you're doing three meals a day. Some people will just be doing two, depending on their constitution. But, um, but yeah, if you're doing... Um, it's actually really nice for your digestion to uh, be introduced to something and know what's coming next. And so mm. if people are into batch cooking, I usually don't recommend leftovers for a lot of people other beyond 24 to 48 hours. But say you make a pot of kitchari or rental and uh, sorry, lentil and rice mixture, then you can make that last by having it for four meals. So two days in a row have have that mixture and it will be really nice for your digestion um, to know what's coming and also really nice for you to take the the worry out of like what's for dinner and you know mm -hmm. you just made one batch and you had it for two days but you had it for lunch and dinner both days. Okay. Um, and then I'm, I'm getting confused over what was the last one. What was this one? Uh, the other is um, doing something like a trifola tablets or powder oh, yeah. um, as a gentle daily detox. Um, fasting, in, depending on the right type of fast for your constitution, at least uh, ideally one day a week. And then mm. maybe kickstarting the process by doing um, a mini Ayurvedic cleanse and potentially adding in a functional cleanse before that Ayurvedic cleanse if you've got a lot of dysbiosis. Right. And, you know, it definitely sounds like there's um, a lot of benefit to someone, you know, working with you um, so that you can actually help them um, stay really informed on where they are in terms of the imbalances. Um, I believe it was in the previous podcast you had mentioned that when the body's out of balance, uh, we'll actually crave things that will put us more out of balance. Um, but when we are in balance, we'll crave the things that help to support that balance. Um, and then I asked you something like, so how many people would you estimate are out of balance? <laughs> and you're like, well, it's probably quite a lot. Um, so helping people to understand where uh, the cravings that they're having might actually help inform them of the imbalances they're experiencing. Yeah. And that, that's one of the first things we talk about um, because it's really just about education. Once someone knows that oh, that craving for crackers and popcorn isn't serving my insomnia and anxiety, then they're usually ready to make a switch, you know, mm -hmm. or at least try something for a week or two um, and, and notice the benefit themselves. And then, you know, then they're more likely to stay on a plan. Um, but yeah, I usually don't recommend that people do something and then just not follow up, you know, like mm. here is your plan. Um, I think having that feedback and having sort of um, an aspect of coaching where, you give someone a recommendation and uh, maybe they're having a little trouble implementing it, then you can troubleshoot some things because you know, well, okay, well, maybe you just make this small shift here and mm. that still works. Um, but when you're given a list of recommendations, it can be overwhelming because you're just like, well, I have to switch my life around. Um, but really, it's really just do this for two weeks and let's check in and how did it work for you? And then, you know, kind of uh, planning accordingly. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the food combining recommendations that you would give for people? Yeah, so um, 
So essentially, it's um, pretty simple. We can, I mean, there's there's a lot more detail, but we could simplify it with keeping fruit separate um, from your main meal by um, at least an hour before and two hours after, and uh, that's because fruit is considered easy to digest and almost pre-cooked by the sun. And so um, if it's sitting with something that's difficult to digest, like a heavy protein, then um, it's gonna digest faster. The different rates of digestion uh, are gonna be different and it's all gonna be sitting in the stomach um, mm. for at least an hour or two. And then one product will start to ferment because it's already been digested while the other one's still going. And, uh, and so then that fermentation and acidity travels throughout the gut and leads to more toxicity, more AMA. Mm. So food combining is very important when you are trying to lose weight to keep your fruit separate. Um, so don't be mixing fruit with your oatmeal or fruit on dairy yogurt. Fruit's okay to mix with nuts or nut-based products like milks, nut milks. Um, but um, I wouldn't put like berries with your pea protein or you know bone broth protein um, in a smoothie with spinach and bananas and you know all mm-hmm. of that just is it can be very overwhelming and confusing for your digestion as well as the additional fermentation. There are some arguments that, okay, well, it's all been blended into a liquid, so it's easier to digest anyway. So in those cases, I would just um, have someone have that unique experience, that feedback for themselves, and Mm. see what happens. So if they're on a strict weight loss goal, if they have a strict weight loss goal, then I would say take it out. Let's make things easier for your body to eliminate toxicity and not be accumulating new toxicity. Um, However, if they're really strong pitta constitution with great digestion and they don't have any issues and they don't get gas and bloating from um, mixing uh, food like that and um, doing improper food combining, then then they they might just continue it. So it's mm-hmm. really just unique to that person how strict um, they want to be based on their goals. And they can also look at their tongue. Uh, my sister texted me the other day and she's like, I heard other Ayurvedic practitioners on Instagram say it's okay to mix fruit with food. And I think she was just using looking um, to me for like a yes pass uh, for that and um, and I was like you know I don't have all the answers why don't you test it for yourself have berries with your oatmeal or whatever and and then see your tongue the next day if you've got a thicker coating then you know that you didn't digest it well if you don't notice anything then maybe you're okay to do that right now mm-hmm. um, but if your digestion were to weaken you get a GI infection or um, some, something else triggers your immunity, then you might not be able to digest that same combination. Um, the other uh, big thing in food combining is keeping um, y- your protein source just limited to one protein source per meal. So um, rather than having, say, like the typical Tex-Mex meal, which is um, beans, cheese, and um, and chicken, for example, those are all protein sources from different types of uh different sources. So um, either you just have legumes, either either you just have animal protein, or you just have dairy. And I'm not making a blanket statement that, you know, anyone should have all of those um, individually, but but just don't combine them. Mm -hmm. And I think that interestingly, if we start to listen to our bodies and become more just in tune with how we respond to different things, um, either by keeping a little food journal or something like that, usually your body is revealing so much to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes for me, I just realized like, wow, I just wasn't 
listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that there's a lot of um, just kind of experience that can uh, really inform our weight loss journey or inform our ideal diet um, that just comes from really listening to how our body responds to things and becoming more aware of those things like, you know, intestinal distress or even irritability, fatigue, things that um, a lot of times we don't associate mm -hmm. with the foods that we're eating, um, but a food journal or something like that can be very, very insightful because you start to be able to draw those little connections between, oh, I had a really big meal last night, or there was a lot of different foods all being combined, and then I woke up today just feeling my emotions down in the dumps, and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so much from just uh, bringing more attention to ourselves and letting our body um, really be be a stronger resource rather than just um yeah just rather than in reaction to something yes um you're looking for your for the wisdom within your own body and the feedback that it's giving you and then um acting accordingly um and yeah i think food journals are great um one thing i would say is that uh, if you're doing a, more of an elimination diet type of protocol um just a just the way you feel that day or a few days after is not a long enough time. Mm. For for example, you should chart your symptoms for two weeks. Okay. Um, for say when you reintroduce gluten, and I think that could be you know a, a fallacy that a lot of people um, make is that they're like, oh well, I had dairy and I didn't feel anything. You know, I'm fine. I can t I can eat it. You know, but it's more like. Wow. Okay, you had dairy. Did you have worse allergies for the next two weeks? You know, were you mm. more prone to uh, nasal drainage congestion? You know, because it is thought to be very mucogenic. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's it's not just an immediate effect. It can be, and it can be the day after. But sometimes the symptoms actually show up over the next week or two. Mm. And I think also there's the component that you know, the longer you've been eating the food and then just living with the symptoms or reactions and not maybe even noticing them. <laughs> like people who just feel, oh, I'm just irritable. I just have that personality. Or, yeah. oh, I just don't sleep well and I never had. Or I've never had clear skin and I just don't have that. You know, we start to kind of accept the different um, aspects rather than maybe seeing them as those clues towards um, actually helping our body to get into that ideal state of balance where all of those little symptoms will start following following away um, even though maybe that wasn't what you set out to try and resolve or maybe you didn't even realize that that was an issue that could be resolved simply by changing your diet or lifestyle. Yeah, I um, the way I describe it to patients is that when you have a muddy stream, if you add another muddy boot or a muddy, muddy piece of thing or just a rock, <laughs> it's not going to make a huge difference. You're mm. like, okay, the stream's already muddy. But if you have this clear, beautiful stream, even one piece of dirt or a handful of mud makes a big difference. You see it. And so I think about, about our body that way, that the more we cleanse our body and get it into this state of balance, then we're going to be more attuned to even slight um, shifts away from balance. Mm, definitely. And certainly with the, you know, 
recommendation of elimination diets um, kind of to help clear the stream so yeah. that you can observe how things affect you. Mm -hmm. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. You know, getting back to that idea of, uh, you know, excess weight as um, storage units for toxicity is kind of how I think about it. Um, when somebody does start to detoxify the body, um, we often hear about uh, detox symptoms like headaches, irritability, mm -hmm. things like that that can result. Um, what recommendations do you have for people? You know, for somebody who maybe has a lot of excess weight and they're starting to detox, um, recommendations to help uh, reduce some of those negative symptoms that can come when people start a cleanse or detox program. Yeah, so in Ayurveda, the three main pathways of elimination um, mullas are um, sweat, urine, and feces. And so keeping those pathways flowing is really important. And so that would show up as maybe you add in some type of laxative that could be in the form of magnesium or maybe the trifla is enough, but, or even charcoal, some things to help with the detoxification, detoxification through the gut. And then making sure you're drinking enough hydrating liquid. So mm. sometimes water isn't hydrating enough, but you can add a pinch of sugar, um, pit, like natural sugar, like maple, coconut, um, even honey and um, and a pinch of salt, and that um, that helps to reabsorb the liquid. That's just based on our physiology with sodium-potassium um, channels and the way that water follows sodium, and you hydrate better when there is that, that addition of sugar and, um, sorry, sodium and glucose channels. Um, so... So hydration and then even detoxification through sweat. So that could be an infrared sauna or it could just be a Epsom salt bath where you're getting your body temperature up and you're sweating or maybe it's exercising where you're sweating. But having all of those pathways flow mm. is going to help with detox symptoms. And then sometimes I'll actually slow the cleanse down if it's too um, too harsh for someone. Right. Then, you know, you'd, you want to protect the individual as well, not just reach an end goal so it's it's really working with that patient to to see what can their system tolerate and um coming up with something that is going to be maybe not the most comfortable but at least not um have a lot of prolonged negative effects right can you talk a little bit more about um you had mentioned um charcoal um and i guess i would maybe think about like bentonite clay things like that that are often um, used to, I guess, help draw toxins out of the body. Um, what, ex I guess, uh, what specific things you would recommend? Yeah, so um, there is there is a, a brand in particular that I like. It's um, um, Biocidin is one of their formulas, and then they also make a GI detox formula, and it has some activated charcoal and some other, I believe, like liver cleansing herbs, things that assist with detox. Um, so that's something that can be purchased on the internet. Um, and um, 
and the brand itself, like the overarching brand, is bio identical, bio botanical research. Okay. Um, so, um, so a product such as that that is both both doing some liver detoxification, some colon detox, mm. something like that would be good. Um, I don't I don't see any problem with the bentonite clay. Some people have kind of more severe detox reactions when they start the clay too, just mm. from taking clay. So that might not be a primary choice to get started with for detox if you're already going through a cleanse. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think you're definitely right that the detox process, as much as you can, just kind of mitigate those unpleasant <laughs> unpleasant symptoms is really a good way of helping, um, you know, keep the person feeling positive and feeling motivated to keep up with the program. Because I've definitely seen people who get so um, kind of maybe overloaded with that surge of toxins that it kind of plummets them back into that, you know, kind of emotional rut that um, that keeps them eating those same foods and, oh. you know, keeping those same habits that created the condition. Well, there is a really nice light at the end of the tunnel when you get through the detox part. And that part can vary for a lot of people. But, you know, some people it's just a few days in the beginning, maybe a, a week max. And other people it lasts for a couple weeks. Mm. Um, but, um, but you know, I can speak firsthand, you know, from cleansing some of the, the dysbiosis that the mental clarity that comes, the just, it's, it really is just like crystal clear thinking and, mm. and an intense sense of will and, an, and, and a magnified sense of willpower and kind of feeling like you can do anything and be anything. It's a very kind of awakening to your own divinity. You feel powerful. Mm. And, um, and it, I think it's when we clear out all the junk, we kind of get to the truth right. of who we are. And it's working on so many levels on the um, the physical plane and uh, in the emotional plane too. And, you know, I'll tell you with an Ayurvedic detox, um, it's important to be in a very meditative state when you do that. Like try not to have a lot going on. Um, you really sort of seclude yourself as much as you can from uh, other people and the outer world. And it's a time for introspection, a time for journaling, a, a time to to purge anything that you need to purge, any mm -hmm. thoughts, any feelings, any emotions, any patterns, any people in your life. To, it's a time to detox from all of that and then mm -hmm. create this new you. Definitely. So um, in addition to the, you know, kind of chemical, physical toxins um, that we want to detox from the body, you had also talked about um, that emotional toxicity can also contribute to accumulation of excess weight and difficulty losing that weight. Can you speak a little more to that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is a strong emotional um, component to um, to holding on to excess weight. Mm. It's uh, in some ways it can be a barrier, like this is my buffer, but in in some ways it's also um, just like that ama, that emotional toxicity that is being stored. Um, and I think it's things that are unprocessed. So something, emotions, thoughts, feelings, events that are unprocessed that haven't been processed and fully felt and released into understanding into mm. into the purity of understanding and love and this this touches on a kind of a deeper spiritual layer to to cleansing in general and um and maybe onto an outlook for life as like 
events that occur, traumas that we experience as, as things that we can use as a tool for our own learning and for our growth and for us to help other people in the world also learn and grow mm -hmm. um, that have shared similar experiences. And, um, and uh, I guess remaining, uh, creating a sense of freedom from our past. And um, I feel like people are often trapped with mm. what happened to them, how they were treated as children, who, how their relationship between their parents, other people in their life, traumas they experience. And it's this trapping, this, the sense of the self that gets kind of paralyzed almost. And, uh, and that is a big part of um, that's a big part of holding on to, right? We're holding mm -hmm. on to weight, but we're also holding on to something that happened to us, a sense of identity that um, that is being defined by events and people mm -hmm. and, uh, and things external to the self rather than the identity existing within the self and then that being kind of shined out. So, um, so it's not to minimize anybody's trauma or minimize anybody's experience or their past and say that that wasn't, that, you know, or actually even say that it's the cause of their obesity. But I think it is an important perspective and aspect to look at when we're thinking about healing and we're thinking about releasing and detoxing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's um, it's definitely a, a common you know trend um, you know in in Western cultures that uh, we don't um, we don't come out right with our emotions you know, in a uh, just kind of daily social level, we generally tend to, um, you know, want to put our best face forward, as they say. Um, and a lot of times those emotions or traumas, we're kind of encouraged to keep to ourselves. Um, I think perhaps uh, just looking at the cultural difference of, you know, being um, kind of encouraged or just um, too scared to voice our emotions, talk about our emotions. Um, you had mentioned earlier that um, we just want to, uh, I think you said, process them into love or that we're just um, looking at the emotion enough that we can think through it, we can assess it, we can um, let go of the pain associated with it, um, rather than as we're kind of bottling things up, that pain becomes so innate and just such a um, kind of crutch almost that, you know, that concept of staying in our comfort zone, sometimes the comfort zone is clinging mm -hmm. to those painful emotions and is not letting them go or letting them come to the surface so that you can um, come to terms with them. Um, and definitely in a culture that also at the same time makes us feel like we have to look a certain way or be a certain way or be happy all the time. It's kind of this, you know, kind of contrast of the two different pressures that I think makes people feel so helpless in a lot of um, in a lot of ways. Um, and I mean, again, I think the focus is it's it's a long journey for, you know, and some and, you know, many people spend their whole lifetime going through it, learning it and learning it again and again and again until they finally get it. Um, and myself included. Um, but I, I, what I really think is that 
it's a return of the focus and the perspective to you mm. versus what someone thinks of you, you know? So whether that's their society or is creating an ideal to, um, to then evaluate, are you okay or not? Or whether you're doing some, you're not expressing your emotions because societally that's not okay. Well then just change your society. Cause I feel like you'll always find someone and you know, that's not even necessary, but, um, when people begin to speak up about how they truly feel, um, they might, you know, scare or um, be considered to be a certain way or given a mm. name or something by, by people at large. But why do we care? Like, why do we <laughs> care what a bunch of other people who are disempowered think? You know, like we are all disempowered in some ways, broken in some ways. So why are we looking to someone else who's incomplete and broken for our sense of completeness? Mm. It just doesn't make any sense. Like we, I would say, just feel what you want to feel. And if the other people around you are not supportive in that and they can't remain supportive or come around, then they're not your people. And life is something that's always changing and we're always in flux as people if we're not growing then we're dying right or if we're not growing then what's the point of living um so we're always changing and it makes sense that the people around us will change as mm. we change either they'll grow with us or they'll grow apart from us um that that we're constantly on the search for a better version of ourselves, mm. uh, a better sense of balance within ourselves better health, all of that, but to what purpose, you know? So it's mm -hmm. just, uh, why do we care? What, to what purpose does it matter what society thinks when we have an outburst or when we're upset? You know, the way I think about it is a child, you know, they don't carry any baggage around with them because if they're grumpy or if they're angry or <laughs> they're sad, they'll just express it in the moment, forget about it. They're not thinking, oh, I probably, you know, uh, I'm so ashamed. Like shame doesn't exist in that mm. level. And I feel in a lot of ways it's a return to self it's a return to that childhood self of ours where we can fully express something and we're not worried about what people are thinking mm. and we can be whatever we want to be we can express ourselves in whichever way we want to express ourselves we can have those dreams sort of ignited and it's not about how it's received and I think so much of sort of the socialization of the individual and the the growing up into adulthood is a suppression of that inner um, creative um, really expressive child mm -hmm. and I know that we all have to function we all have to kind of play our roles but I think there is room for more expression and less concern about what other people think mm -hmm. and just giving our own um our own emotions, uh, an outlet to be expressed, um, and embracing those things that make us unique. Um, in the culture that we live in of, of social media and all of this, I think a lot of times, um, you know, people are only posting the best of themselves. Um, and unfortunately, that creates this kind of disparity between what life is really like for people and what life appears to be for certain people. Um, and certainly for someone that is, you know, uh, kind of fixating on those, you know, self judgments, um, or trying to compare themselves to other people or attain 
a so-called happiness that it appears another person has um, is just another kind of symptom of, of the culture that we're living in and um, keeping people kind of stuck um, in wh wherever they are. Uh, so recognizing that you know, the more that we embrace those things that make us human, rather than trying to um, silence them or quiet them or ignore those emotions um, is really, really important, even if it doesn't necessarily fit into what, you know, we believe is the ideal or whatever. Because unfortunately, um, you know, the ideal that's often portrayed is, I think, just unrealistic. And I think it's important that people understand that it is natural that we're changing and it is natural that we experience these different emotions. Um, and to really accept that and accept ourselves where we are. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming yeah. on the program today. Um, I really hope that you will come back and join us again soon. Sure. And uh, maybe even join us over on the Psyche Truth channel to share more information. Um, you had mentioned in the previous podcast that uh, meals that contain the six... Uh, tastes um, are the most satisfying. So I'm wondering if maybe we can even do um, either a podcast or series of videos, maybe showing some examples of those yeah, meals. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so thank you again I'm for actually, being here. Oh yeah, thank you. I'm actually having um, a Sixth Sense soiree um, tomorrow evening. Okay. And um, I have like maybe 20 people coming and um, I was thinking about the Sixth Taste because I'm representing kind of a dessert platter of the six tastes and it's mm -hmm. been really fun to create it and think about it and I have pomegranate seeds for astringent and I have um, uh, bitter uh, dark chocolate for the bitter taste and um, you know I'm just representing each taste but also the five senses Ooh. and um, <laughs> and so I, I also do sound healing um, with um, holographic sound vocals so it's thought to be channeled vocals you kind of step out of the way and let whatever healing sounds want to flow through so that's going to be really fun uh, with a crystal bowl and um, and then I have a few other people helping out with aromatherapy and color therapy and and then we've got the taste and um, and it representing each sense and so the idea is that we heal through our senses and uh, and then that ignites the heart it ignites the intuition the sixth sense so um, I love that so, yeah I'm excited about that very cool. That would make a great podcast topic in itself, too. Okay, yeah, sure. I can um, tell you how it went, and um, and then we can follow up from there. Um, I'm, I, I also really enjoy just thinking about these concepts the uh, on the, the mental, emotional, spiritual level. And so I do have a, a small book of poems that I created, um, and they just kind of came through last year. I wasn't really identifying as a writer or a poet, but... Um, but that's available on Amazon. It's called Drops of Gold, okay. um, Poems for the Modern Day Enlightened Woman. And it's dedicated to all women that believe in miracles uh, because I feel like it was a miracle to write it. Mm -hmm. And so um, so if anybody's interested in checking that out just for kind of more inspirational uh, words, then that's there too. Yeah. And I love that. It kind of reminds me, I can't remember if it was this, uh, this podcast or the previous one, um, that sweets are... Um, 
kind of in the language of love or whatever. And oftentimes when we're craving really sweet foods, that if we can um, address that need for love in another way, like reading a beautiful, inspiring poem, that that can actually even be a way that we um, satisfy a sweet craving without actually eating sweets. So I yeah. love that concept. Yeah, it's really just thinking about what feeds you. How are we fed? And I feel one of the biggest ways that we're fed is when we're in a creative place. And you don't have to be an artist or a musician to uh, be creative. Um, maybe it's how you create the meal for your family or how you create space in the day for yourself for a deeper nurturing or relaxation. But anything that kind of shifts you out of the norm, shifts you out of your daily routine, where you where you sh- you kind of shift something, you create something, you do something different. It's it's what ignites our spirit, and so um, so that's what that's another really great way to feed yourself mm. when you feel hungry. When you feel hungry for food, you may actually just be hungry in a different different aspect of your life. Wonderful. Well, this is fascinating. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Um, and I look forward to having you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Certainly. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the podcast today. You can learn more about Dr. Kana by visiting nishakanamd.com. You can find the full one-hour interview video version, along with hundreds of other health and wellness videos over on wellnessplus.tv. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you will join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.